0: Well, the the impetus for the series, uh, you know, we did verse by verse through the last month. We'll jump back into some of that here in the future. But um, and and part of today we'll be going through a passage in First John. If you want to turn there ahead of time, we'll be in First John. Uh, we'll be uh, looking at chapter four. But uh, so, but in just a moment, the why I want to get into this is because I think there's some things that you need to know about me as a new pastor here, about why I'm a Christian, and I think you'll also be encouraged, and maybe something that someone else would want to hear as well. Uh, we're going to hit four broad areas in this uh, short series. The first one today, I'm going to talk about the the revelation of moving from fear to love and how important that has been in my spiritual journey and perhaps would be in yours as well, moving from fear to love. Uh, and we'll unpack that this morning and maybe next week a little bit as well. I want to talk also in one of the messages, This is probably the second one as I've planned it so far, uh, about the Holy Spirit, uh, the, the empowering presence of God and how vital that has been in my Christian journey uh, and and some of the abuses I experienced in that, but also why I never threw the baby out with the bathwater, and I want to encourage you as well to not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Uh, is that a saying? Everybody know I said that in another church, and like half the people had no clue what I was talking about. You know, if you're washing the, your baby in a tub, you don't throw the baby out with the dirty water. You you want to keep the baby, and the bad stuff goes out, right? Right. Um, so don't throw the baby out with the bathwater uh, regarding the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to talk about that also in this series. And then a couple other things, too. I want to talk about the role of the ancient church in my faith, the use of pieces of liturgy in a life-giving way. Uh, and so we want to talk about that and and sort of that... Uh, influence of the grand Christian tradition, little old orthodoxy, why that matters to me, why we may say the Nicene Creed in worship from time to time, but how that is life-giving and might be life-giving for you as well, that Christianity wasn't invented just yesterday down the street, you know, over in, uh, you know, Waterloo, and all of a sudden we're here, Uh, but the grand tradition. So we'll be hitting those things for sure in in the series on uh, why I am still a Christian, and I will also talk a little bit in that as well about the aspect of the play of God's Spirit as well. So those things will be in the series, and I didn't write down the fourth one, but it's important, but I didn't write it down, so I can't remember it this morning, but it is there. Uh, so, in, so let me just set the story up by saying this. I became a Christian uh, as my parents went through a messy divorce, and my mom ended up uh, getting uh, saved in a Baptist church, but almost immediately ended up going to a little Pentecostal church in a small town in the prairies of South Dakota, um, and, uh, thank God for temperate weather of Vancouver. I just, God, this is such a, this is, I mean, there are people in Florida that were like, this is paradise, and I'm sitting there sweating half the year, and I'm like, this is not paradise, this is closer to another place with four letters, but, um, if you're on the beach, it's fine. If you're on the beach, you know, with your little drink in the umbrella stand, whatever, fine, but, you know, you can't live that way, right? So, uh, great place to visit, don't move there. Um, Just kidding. I love my love the Florida people. I'm Harry. We gotta edit this out of the online audio, just so yeah. Just yeah. (laughs) And by the way, Harry has uh, been talking about just continuing helping update technology. And we have a brighter projector this morning. If it was easier to read and see, uh, although the video was lower resolution, but everything else is really bright. Uh, That's that's Harry providing his skills and leadership there. So yay, Harry. uh, he's pushing, he's like, uh, you know, I'm pushing, but Harry's also pushing me in this area, so <laughs> keep moving, Pastor, all right, yes. Uh, so I became a believer in a little Pentecostal church, and we were all about, in becoming that, we were all about obedience and holiness and, and you know, making sure that we checked off the boxes and we did everything right, and and... Well, we talked about God's love and that God's love was somehow displayed on the cross, it was sort of abstract from how he's talked about daily living of Christianity. And there were some really good things in that context about learning obedience and sort of that uh, almost law approach to, to the faith. And maybe some of you were raised in something like that, uh, you know, maybe a super conservative church or maybe in another religious system where that rule-keeping thing was very high on the list. And we also spoke about, uh, you know, this idea of God's love, but it wasn't, it wasn't very real. I mean, yes, God is love, and yes, Jesus died for us, and yes, God gives us gifts of the Holy Spirit, and we talked about that as an expression of God's love, but then it was do, 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 and, and God help you if you did not line up with that list quickly enough in your conversion experience, <laughs> because you would be under the judgment of the group, whether it was stated or or the emotions and relational coldness or flat-out judgment against folks. And so there was a sense that God was also a heavy-duty taskmaster, that, you know, yes, he loves you. Yes, he died for you. Now, uh, here's the Bible, and slap you upside the head, get in line, right? Um, get in, Get on track with what's going on. And so Thankfully, that was not my only experience within the charismatic movement, but that was the initial one. And so as I grew into my faith in my late teenage years and into college, you know, I made some sinful errors to be sure. But I always knew, at least from that context, about God gives the gifts of the Holy Spirit because he loves us and the mercy of God is always there. We can always cry out to him and, in fact, learn how to worship and, and be very vocal, both out literally, physically, but also in one's mind of having that conversation with God but there was always this sort of like, dark hole in the back of all of that God experience because of how I experienced it growing up in my uh, initial experience with Christianity. In the back of my mind, you know, there was the God who was loving and the move of the Holy Spirit who was close and caring and engaged and wanted us to speak forth words and build each other up. But then there was this other distant, sort of capricious God that you never quite know if you're walking down the street one day and he decides just to zap, take you out, because you weren't quite there yet. Like, there was always that sense of this deity that, hmm, he may just kill you, okay? Just boom, you're done, you're out. Uh, and so this picture of who God was, well, he's loving, he's close, he's he's intimate, dah, dah, dah. and then on the other side, he's he's sort of capricious and we don't really know, so... You better get back in line. Well, that fear motivation only worked so far. So here I am, a young adult, and wrestling with my faith. Went to a Bible college for a couple years. Hated it. Did this left Bible college. By the way, uh, so if you ever go to Bible college and you hate it, it be be careful because you may end up going to seminary and becoming a pastor. So, um, <laughs> but left Bible college, and I remember reading in my little studio apartment in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, this book, and. Um, it was one of, I was reading different theology books at the time, and I was wrestling with my faith, and man, is God, I mean, who who are you, God? And I came across a sentence, and I don't know if you've ever read something, and all of a the sudden, there's a sense of presence in the place, and there's a sense of, there's a shift that's taking place right now in my mind and my heart and emotions, because this thing is being driven home to me. And I believe looking back at that, that was the Holy Spirit's presence and anointing saying, I'm about to take you to a different place in your faith uh, and bring about new life that you've never experienced before. And so I began to read this, and it may not sound remarkable to you just hearing it now, but at that point in my spiritual journey, God used this to break something huge in my life. It was very simple. It said this, from a Christian perspective, love is the first And last word in the biblical portrait, the biblical picture of God. From a Christian perspective, love is the first and last word in the biblical portrait of God. And for some reason, in that moment, at that time, in my wrestling with faith, God met me there in that sentence and the ones to follow, to begin to shift my view from this God that was sort of uh, two-faced, you never know which mask you're going to get, to realizing that love is not simply one attribute, but it's central to who God actually is. Before, it was about God being all-holy, and it began to shift to understand that His holiness flows out of His love. Now, if you were raised in a legalistic, Bible-thumping watch out, God could zap you at any time kind of church. That will rock your world. And it was so clear. And the Lord began to speak in that. The author continued quoting a verse that we're going to look at in just a moment. And I knew that verse since I was little because I was raised in pretty tight Christianity once we became Christians in our family. I mean, we, in our generation, the kid, it was kids ministry stuff. It was Salty, the singing songbook. Does anyone have any clue what that is? Salty, the singing songbook. Okay, a few. All right, all right. Some of my people are here. All right. Yeah, salty as in the Psalter, as in Psalms, P.S.A. Yeah, salty, the singing songbook. And there was a song in there. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God. That's why I'm not on worship team. And everyone who loves is born of God. And know If you know the song, come on, sing it with me. He that loves not, doesn't know God. I'm messing it up. Beloved, let us love one another. And then it ended with the verse, 1 John 4, 7. And you know it was good evangelical stuff when it had the actual verse in the song. So you had to memorize, right? And those of you that were not raised in fundamentalist conservative church culture, the Lord bless you. You have things that you have to catch up on, but there's other things that you never have to get delivered from. So God bless you. (laughs) Oh, I knew this song. And it was a cute ditty, but it never really made, like, was never really driven home until that time. It says, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. The statement, God is love, is as close as the Bible comes to giving a def- definition of the divine reality, one person put it. And this particular author said, it o- although it only appears in 1 John, the assertion, God is love, succinctly summarizes a pervasive biblical theme. The psalmist describes God as abounding and steadfast love, Psalm 103. In fact, in your home group this week, that's part of your homework is to go through Psalm 103. That's one of the questions that you'll be working through. God has everlasting love of his people Israel, according to Isaiah uh, 54.8. Many passages in the Bible says his lover's kindness or his loving kindness, because he said his covenant faithful love, the Hebrew word, goes on Forever. God's love is the rationale for Israel's beginning as a nation. It says this in Deuteronomy 7, 8. It says, Because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your forefathers, before they were an actual nation, that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery and from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And so God's love is drawing us out of our captivity even when we don't realize that we're captive, if you're not a believer yet, it's God's love that's wooing you. You got into this place and why? Well, i just going here because I like the girl or I like the guy, or I'm just going here because it was down the street and I wandered in the door. And you know, God's drawing you. He's wooing you. His spirit's at work on you. He wants a deeper personal relationship with you. That's why he brought you here today. You might be here because of that. God's love can, comes to its fullest expression in the life and death of Jesus. Romans 5, 8 in Scripture tells us this God demonstrates his own love for us and that while we were still sinners Christ died for us John three sixteen is a famous verse for God so loved the world that he gave his only one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life but again it's rooted in God's love for the world see I was raised in this environment where it's this holy huddle hold the fort till Jesus comes it's just us and if you happen to break in somehow that's wonderful but but that world, ooh, that's scary out there. And yet I read in John 3 that God is on a mission in the world because he loves everyone in our neighborhood. He loves everyone in your neighborhoods, that he's on a mission to redeem all people and all of, all of creation even, it tells us elsewhere, all of the cosmos, John uses that word, everything because he's love. Now, he doesn't force it. So there is judgment in the end if you decide to reject love, if you and that judgment is basically letting you go on your own way, as many of the ancient church fathers believe. Sort of you become a living version of hell because you're closing yourself off relationally, because love is about being in relationship. Another person put it this way, Emil Brunner's the assertion that God is love is the most daring statement that has ever been made in human language. It means that love is not a mere quality or attribute that God happens to have in common with other beings, it is the very nature of God himself. There's one uh, quote I want to share with you. Uh, make sure I get this right. Um, a guy named Richard McBride puts it this way, if love is the soul of Christian existence, it's at the heart of every other Christian virtue. For example, justice without love becomes legalism. Faith without love becomes some sort of Ideology. Hope without love is self-centeredness. It's all about me and my future. Forgiveness without love is self-abasement, lowering yourself for no sake of something new. Fortitude without love is recklessness. Generosity without love is extravagance. Care without love is mere duty. Fidelity or faithfulness without love can become servitude. Every virtue, he says, is an expression of love. No virtue is really a virtue unless it is permeated or informed by love. I hope you're getting the point here this morning. The main ideal is real simple. In our relationship with God, it is transformative when we move from a false fear to the sense of God's love. And we'll define this more as we walk a little further along this morning. Would you look at your neighbor this morning and, and say, are you awake? <laughs> I got my Grinch Christmas mug out a little early. It does say "Merry Christmas" on the other side, but um, we're not ready too soon, so we'll stick with that. Some of us are uh, need to understand that this is not a proper expression of our Christian faith and love. <laughs> the Grinch. So out of this, the attributes of God flow from love. The main idea this morning that I want you to leave with is the revelation of God who is love changed how I encountered Christ. And it has amazing practical aspects of how we are to live differently. Because as we begin to tease that out, what does that mean? It changes how we live our Christian life. 1 John 4.18 says this, There is no fear in love. There is no fear in love. There is no fear in love. I need to hear this a lot. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears has not been made perfect in love. Well, this love is more than an emotion. It's more than just putting on a happiness. There's something deeper about this that we are going to learn in just a moment. So let's read again from 1 John 4.7. 8, 9, and 10 this morning. If you want to join with me, turn in your Bibles to 1 John. Uh, if you're new to the Bible, it's towards the very end of the New Testament, uh, if, unless you have a bunch of extra stuff in the back. Uh, but you can just backpedal from the book of Revelation, which is a bigger book, and you'll find 1, Second, and Third John. And I'm going to read that this morning, and then we'll get to the last half of this message. Um, if you would, would you stand one more time, just so I know you're awake and with me. I want to, you know, some of you don't move enough, so I'm helping you out this morning. All right. Stretch. Again, if you're able to do so, we're going to read this, and perhaps, is it on the screen? Can we read it together? Oh, wonderful. Let's read this out loud together. First John 4, starting with verse 7, and we're going to go through verse 10. So uh, give it your best church voice, okay? And uh, pause for the punctuation, because we all need to breathe. All right. Dear friends, let us love one another, because love is from God, and everyone who loves has been fathered by God and knows God. The person who does not love does not know God because God is love. Keep going. Verse 9. Oh. Well, okay. We don't have it all. So let me read verse 9. Well, we got that. Just leave verse 8 there. So verse 9 says this. By this, the love of God is revealed in us that God sent his one and only Son into the world so that we may live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. All right, be seated. Thank you. That's good stuff. We're still working on a communication. They haven't figured out how to read my mind yet. So here we have John giving the commands as an apostle giving commands to the body in 1 John. And this church has gone through division. Earlier in 1 John, he says something like this. There were those that left us, but they left because they were never really part of us. And he's dealing with division in the church. And now as he shifts through, he's talking about what are these sources of unity? How are we to respond In verses one through six, he talked about testing the spirits. Just because someone says the spirit said this and the spirit said that, we're dirt. He's a divinity. We're to test it in community, and there's instruction with that. Paul had the same problem at Corinth, saying how we welcome the spirit. When we welcome God's leadings in our lives, we also need to yield one to another in a covenanted community in order to discern is this the word, is this God's word for us, or is it just the pizza or some other spirit influencing us? And so we need to work through that. But now he shifts in this part of John 4 and talks about this. Beloved, let us love one another because love is of God and everyone who loves has been fathered by God and knows God. And so the audience of the churches, the beloved, the gathered community, the audience of the churches, he says, let us love this foundational aspect of love in John's thinking about God and the church is revealed here. There's some rhetorical flourish that we could get into of what's going on uh, in the language as well that doesn't translate in English, but basically this idea of we are to love one another. Um, In verse 1 through 6, we talked about distinguishing of spirits, and here there's this idea of knowing that when we're not operating in love, we operate in a different spirit, and we open ourselves up to being used by the enemy, and we can give lip service to the king of kings, but if it's not rooted and grounded in love as revealed in Jesus, as he's about to say, we can go in completely wrong directions. For example, in Luke nine fifty four, before John gets the full revelation of who Jesus is, he's part of one of the disciples that wanted to call down fire on the Samaritans because they didn't receive Jesus, mirroring what Elijah did. And then he's not at that point fully getting this idea of what God's love is about. He was ready to burn them up. Send the fire, Lord, just like Elijah you know, and not in a sense of filling them with the consuming love of God in their hearts of the Holy Spirit. No, like burning them up, uh, toasty critters, that kind of thing. And Jesus rebukes them. Basically, you don't know what spirit you're of. You know, sometimes in church, we do not let ourselves be rooted and grounded in the love of Christ, and then we move into fighting and resentment and vindictiveness and and the wrong kind of questioning, and this sense of, uh, like Paul says in Romans one twenty nine, envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. Galatians five twenty, he says, don't be ruled by hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions. In Second Corinthians twelve twenty, the list comes up again. What does it look like when we're not operating in love? Quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, faction, slander, gossip, arrogance, disorder. So we have a choice, apparently, as believers, whether we're operating out of this core of God's love flowing through us, or we leak out that and we need to be refreshed, but if we don't do that, we end up operating out of sort of the default mode of our carnal side of our nature. Alexander Solzhenitsyn talks about this idea of the war in the middle of every human heart. There's a dividing line. It's not just out there, it's it's right here. And when a church like Pilgrim begins to get serious about and joyful about renewal and reaching out and expanding the kingdom, there will be spiritual warfare in every one of our hearts. Will we be in line with God who has revealed his love in Jesus Christ and his self sacrificial love, ascribing worth to everyone of inestimable value that Jesus died for all? Or do we begin to operate out of another base? My preferences. My critiques, a spirit of continual judgment and dissension. Scripture speaks clearly that those are not works of God. Those are works of the flesh. And at worst, they are empowered by the spirit of the evil one. And so this revelation of love has really practical implications. How are you acting? You say, well, Shell, you're American. We're Canadians. We don't do that. Okay, ice, ice, baby, is still a form of hatred. <laughs> Distancing, cooling. Cooling. Cutting out, slight remarks on the side. I was also in the raised, or not raised, but been in Mennonite church for many years. Mennonite's experts. We are experts at the passive-aggressive. Triangulation. If I have something against Foo, I'm not going to say it to Foo. I'm going to say it to Tracy and hope that Tracy gets it back to Foo or at least three other people that will eventually get it back to Foo. Triangulation. Instead of Matthew 18, if you have something against your brother, your brother it says, if your brother has something against you, you be proactive. If they're not, and you go to them if you know that there's something not right. woo, That's what love does. Love enters the tunnel of chaos. It doesn't distance it. And we're talking about in relatively space, safe places relationally. I mean, if there's an abuse or really power dynamic, there's other th- you want to have another person involved or have a different process for doing that. But in general, the operation there. So let us love one another, love us for God, everyone who loves, has been fathered by God and knows God. If you're not loving, then you need to ask a fundamental question of have you received Jesus Christ? Is Jesus your Lord and Savior and have you sworn allegiance to him? And allegiance means that you have acts of obedience that follow through, related first and foremost to his love and how you treat your other human beings around you. If that's not the case, you may ask, have I actually received this Jesus? Where am I at with Jesus? Jesus. So John had already told them earlier in chapter 4 that they were acting like the devil. At least some of them, now he's telling them how they're supposed to respond. Oh, there's so much more in that I want to unpack, but let's move forward. Galatians 5.14, Paul says this, For the whole law can be summed up in a single commandment, namely, you must love your neighbor as yourself. Would you say this with me? You must love your neighbor as yourself. One more time. You must love your neighbor. However, if you continually bite and devour one another, beware that you're not consumed by one another. Well, there's an image that a body of local believers that is not rooted and grounded in love becomes cannibalistic and consuming itself. Having studied somewhat church renewal and being a church planter and revitalization, I've seen this where people can start consuming. The body starts devouring itself instead of turning outward in love. If the more inward a church is, the more it starts destroying itself. It thinks it's doing better ministry, but in fact, it is not. Now, all the gifts absolutely need to be in operation, but if we're not also outward, we begin to start this spiral of destruction in our hearts and minds and then in our attitude, in our actual actions that come out of that. So let's look at verse 8, and then we will, uh, we're at the towards the end here, but verse 8 says this, person who does not love does not know God because God is... Love. Sit with that for a moment. But I was told God is holiness. Oh yes, God is, in some sense, he is holiness. He is separate. He is other. But his holiness flows out of his love. In fact, holiness without love can become diabolical evil. God is first love. Love. In fact, the Trinity that is revealed as we read into the New Testament and hints of it in Hebrew Bible, God is a relation of three interconnected persons, an eternal dance of divine love, and out of superabundant love creates other beings that can choose to love or not. And so out of his holiness, out of his love rather, flows his holiness, his otherness. But if you have all of the law without the centrality of the importance of relationship, you miss the whole point of all of the creation project, all of it. Holiness is about creating a place where love can thrive and grow as humans. We need those, those guides, those, those things to direct us and to reorient us. We need those things to remind us, especially as we're new in the faith and as we mature, we're growing in our capacity to love better and to know that I don't do things that break covenant, that destroy others' covenants. Those are sin. Those are missing the mark. So holiness flows out of love and in fact is in the service of love. will talk more about that in a moment, but... I don't want to be here all morning. Neither do you. Amen. All right. So this affirmation here. He says, "If you don't love, you do not know God." But I did my devotions. I paid my tithe. I gave above and beyond. I I attend every church service. I I go to. I go. I I, I even serve my neighbor. I don't like it, but I'm doing it. Uh, you know, I, all these things. He said, but if you don't love, you don't know God. Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 13 in teaching on the spiritual gifts. Nobody ever told me that growing up, by the way, that 13 was supposed to be read as interpreting and central to how the spiritual gifts operate in the body and the world. That he's saying, here's the more excellent way, the way of love. So if you want to prophesy, speak in tongues, pray for healing, do whatever, uh, spout off whatever in the name of the Lord, it has to be rooted and grounded in God's love. If it's not, there's your immediate discernment number one. I got a word from the Lord for you, sister, let me tell you, and you're about to rip somebody a new one in the name of the Lord. Paul says, no, no, that, that hold the phone. Wait, boy. If it's not done in love, that's not the Spirit of God. Now, God may have inspired part of that word, but now the character piece has to match up with the charismatic piece in order to bring it into proper context where it is now spoken, telling the truth in love. Whew, that changes how we do life together. Say, well, I want to talk about all those people out there in our culture that are doing things that are ungodly. Yeah, they're not following Jesus. Shock of all shocks. You're there to demonstrate God's love and bring that into their lives. People he's placed in your networks already. But the church does no good if we sit there and denounce the world. We need to start in the house of God with our attitudes. Are we learning to be a laboratory of the love of Jesus Christ? This was just revelation knowledge for me. I was more in fear of God, and I do pray, Lord, have mercy on me as sinner. Absolutely, I'm in process. I'm, I'm not there, and I won't be until the kingdom come fully. But I am in process with the Holy Spirit. But it never was driven into my mind that the love piece is central and that if I'm operating out of fear, I'm going to make destructive decisions. I've shared this quote many times. I think I brought it up at the, le- the leadership retreat, the all-church leadership retreat last weekend, but said, you know, if you make decisions in desolation, And I forget who it was, if this goes back to August, no, no, Ignatius, I don't know. Uh, One of those great spiritual director folks that is used there. But the quote I remember quite clearly, that if you make a decision in desolation, you make the devil your spiritual director. Uh, That's operating out of fear, right? If we say, the best days of Pilgrim were in 1970, when we all sang all the hymns in four-part, no, that's Mennonites, four-part harmony. I don't know, you're Baptists, you sing, anyway, you sing... We had 15 people who could play the organ, and we had an orchestra, and blah, blah, blah. And, and that drives us, That and we're, we, we're not there, but someday I believe we're going to be way over 200 people, praise the Lord, as we expand and we outrageously take risks for the kingdom of God. But if we're driven by fear or, or a false fear of the future versus the past, we're not operating we're not we're not operating in love, we're not operating in letting God direct us. If there's something you're facing in your life and you're looking at it from a very dark place and you are spiritually in a place of desolation and you decide you're going to make a decision there, you're not in a proper frame of mind or spirit in order to make a wise decision. Don't make the devil your spiritual director. And all God's people said Amen. C.H. Dodd said this, that it's a characteristic divine activity is that of loving, then God must be personal. For he cannot be loved by an abstraction or by anything less than a person. But to say God is love implies that all his activity is loving activity. If he creates, he creates in love. If he rules, he rules in love. If he judges, he judges in love. All that he does is an expression of his nature, which is to love. Yarbrough, a biblical scholar, said this, to John it is self-evident that this aspect of God's nature makes a sham of any claim to know God on a part of a so-called believer who is deficient in love. He said, no trait is more inherent to God as depicted in 1 John than the active will to love. Church, how are you doing? What is the Holy Spirit sparking into your mind about your words, your deeds, your actions here in the covenant community of pilgrim? Or if you're considering coming to Pilgrim and you're checking this out, can you love outrageously? Because that releases the power of the Holy Spirit who wants to make dead things come alive. Hated things become loved things. Beings, people that have turned inward turn outward and their hearts softened again. I'm going to just jump ahead. I did a whole piece on agreeing and disagreeing and love, some good stuff from our Anabaptist friends, but I want to just jump ahead to verse 9 in the outline, 9 and 10, so we can wrap up this morning. Verse 9 and 10 says this, By this the love of God is revealed in us, that God sent his one and only Son into the world so that we may live through him. And then in verse 10 says this again, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our... Sins. For those of you that are concerned about love just being an emotion or a bad pop song, Christians begin to drill it home here. What is our defining model and characteristic that we have for love? Where do we go to know what does this look like with feet on it? We know this. It's revealed Certainly, if you've received Jesus, it's now working in you. If you haven't yet, you can see this in the Gospels and hopefully in the church. That God sent his one and only Son into the world that we may live through him. So the definition of love proceeds from God and works its way down to us. He says some other things here in terms of correcting some heresy or going off the rails. He said his one and only Son he 's making the point again in this weaving in some deeper theology about uh, behind um, the nature of God, rather beyond you know the idea of love, but then he says love is uniquely revealed in Jesus Christ, the only born that in Jesus our model is unique, and one time and only through him he makes this outrageous, scandalous, particular claim about Jesus, unlike. The Mormon claim that there was, Jesus was one of many uh, sons of God, or the Baha'i claim that he was one of he says, "No, no, there's one and only. So he's speaking to, to the, the Jewish population, He's speaking to the Gentiles coming in from other religions. He's speaking forward and backward in time about Jesus as the scandalous, exclusive revelation of God. the one only unique, 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 unique uh, uh, type of God, fully human and fully divine. And so he says this uniqueness of Jesus is important as I'm talking about love, dear church. He said God sent him to bring us to life first to be atonement for our sins, our brokenness. God deals with the issue of unholiness in Jesus Christ and we receive him. A more Reformed theology would say that in him, his righteousness becomes ours. God sees Jesus when he looks at us. A more um, Wesleyan Orthodox, Eastern Orthodox theology would say that we not only are re- we're receiving that sort of as a gift, but he's actually working within us, transforming us, transfiguring us, theosis, to become uh, more like Jesus in that sense. Either way, the point is, is that in Jesus... He takes the issue of sin head on in order to restore the relationship that the love can do its work from the inside out. And we're no longer breaking relationship with God. Now we are in relationship with him through Jesus Christ, and that love can work inside of our hearts and our minds, our bodies, our actions. Sin is what breaks the bonds of love. Missing the mark to flesh that out, missing the mark is breaking covenant, destroying those things that destroy, or rather doing those things which destroy the covenant the people of God, the creatures of God. We talk about not sleeping around or dealing with pornography or, or not hating your, your uh, brother or your neighbor. We're not trying to kill all your happiness and pleasure, but we're trying to help you understand this destroys deeper pleasure and true joy, which is available in the love of God and learning to live that out differently in human life. This passage mirrors John 3.16. He didn't come to judge the world, but the world might be saved. So, let's look at this and land it with some applications and takeouts this morning. Verse 10, God first loves us, so he enables us to love. His grace goes before. For me, moving from fear to love is just, it was so life-changing for my Christian experience. God breathed life in there, and I'm like, ah, there's clarity in the gospel now. There's clarity in obedience. There's clarity in the allegiance call to follow Jesus as Lord, which is uh, a very practical thing, way of understanding Christianity that it's about putting your allegiance, your obedience, not just simply a head belief, but everything you are into Him. I couldn't do that thinking that He was somehow also wearing the Satan hat sometimes, and now He has the good hat. And now he has the Satan hat. And what, I have to rejoice in that evil? No, no. He says, through all things, God can work for good, but not all things are caused by him. He's all love. John says that elsewhere. In him, there is no darkness at all. Period. Full stop. Drop the microphone. There is no darkness at all. This God revealed his love is one of the first things that has kept me in the Christian faith. It was probably a year after that And this is my flaky, charismatic side. Brace yourself if you've been raised Baptist. It's going to be okay. I know charismatic Baptists around the world, by the way, so you only get some slack, not much. Uh, And uh, I'm walking down the supermarket, and I'm still wrestling with this as a a young adult. My faith is being changed, and God's rocking my world. Because I was probably ready to kind of like, you know what, this is a nice thing, but... When it got personal like that, the Lord began to do a deep work in my heart. And I remember walking down the aisle, and I forget what it was. I was a single guy. It was probably the ramen and macaroni aisle of a grocery store that is no longer there. But I'm walking down the aisle. It's probably evening, eating at bad times. You know, bad, bad. You know, you could eat anything back then, right? And then just, you know, burn it off. But not today. And I felt the Lord speak to me in what was almost an audible voice. In fact, I think I thought it wasn't audible because I turned around, and that, that's happened maybe this only time that I will remember in my life. Maybe there's some other ones, but I can't recall them. He said, Shelby, I sing over you. I delight in you. I love you. I was finding my identity, figuring out who I was, wrestling with this of God. And it was such a clear word that I stopped in the supermarket, and I started crying me in the suit, I like. I cry about other people's stuff. I don't cry about my, you know. Uh, I'll tear up at the video, I'll tear up at others, but not. And what a weird place for the Lord to speak to me. But when I reflect on it, the grocery store, the provision of your physical needs, you have the food for your body, and here he is saying, but here's the food you need for your soul. This will sustain you. It is my prayer, beloved of the Lord and those considering Christianity and for the future of this church, that we are known as a people who are. Captivated by the love of God in Jesus Christ. That our neighbors, Harry and I, are talking about walking and doing some invites. I I invited him along. He had a look of horror on his face, but he said yes, so I'm holding you to it now. Uh, That this church would be known as a place of outrageous love. You need restoration. You need to have a a a core, a strength in you that goes beyond your identity in the world. Get to that pilgrim place because the Spirit is there. They may not use that language because they don't know that language, but God's Spirit is present there. I can feel, I can sense that there is love pulsating out of that place. They'll help love you into wholeness, or they'll love you back into a healthier place about who you are. Get identity in Jesus. For he so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have life eternal for he did not send the son in the world to condemn the world but that the world might be saved through him, the cosmos, the creation, even East Van. God loves this place. He loves you. And it's defined by Jesus. We'll unpack it a little more as we move into the, the second part of this and the Holy Spirit next Sunday. But you need to understand this. I like how one theologian put it. Love is sacrificially ascribing worth to another in thought, word, and deed. Love is sacrificially not reciprocal giving. That may happen, but that's not why we first love like God. Love, love is sacrificially ascribing worth to another another person in thought, and word, and deed. This is our example in Jesus. Would you stand with me this morning? I want to invite our worship team to come up. They're going to sing us out, uh, but stand if you're able to do so. We're going to land it there. I have some handouts about agreeing and disagreeing in love, some practical guides on that. And in the future, we'll do a sermon series about personal peacemaking and how, what is that, why do we do that? Well, because of God's love, applying it. And so um, this morning, we want to end with just a few takeouts. And the takeouts are the application pieces to remember today are this. You have a choice to use your mouth, to use your tongue, your words and deeds to manifest love. And I've been in churches, and I, I can just say this safely without knowing you that well at Pilgrim, but some of you are probably hating with your tongue. You're forming unholy alliances with it. You may be undermining healthy stuff. You may be challenging friendships that could actually cause you to grow, and you're avoiding them. Stop shooting your mouth off for the evil one. Or you're, maybe, maybe it's not saying it, but it's in your head. Jesus talks about that murderous attitude starts up here and in our hearts. There's life and death in the power of the tongue. Are you using your tongue to manifest love and care? By the way, I preach that to myself a lot too because I have some of that in me, right? It's easy to sit on the judgment seat, but I find that when I'm judging someone, I can't love them at the same time. Now, there's in community, there's a time to speak truth about behaviors that may be destructive, but at the end of the day, if my sense of worth is that, well, look how good I am and, oh, man, Bob, look at him, Oh, uh, you know, wing, look at him. Oh, my, you know, that I'm getting my identity in the wrong place, and I'm not loving. The second a- takeout this morning is a commitment to the beloved community. The local church is a lab of love where God's love is uniquely manifest. John's church had experienced a split because of some deep theological issues about who God is. And so he's reorienting them. We're in a church that's moving towards new life and a new season, But there's a commitment here that God is present. I come here, sometimes it's hard for me pushing through the cloud. Now, obviously, I work here, so I make sure I push through the cloud. But it's a voluntary association. But it should go deeper. It should become beloved community. That I want to be here because God's spirit is present and because I love the brothers and sisters, and I don't know, it may be someone's first time ever in a church in our neighborhood, and I want to be there to be available for them. That's love. I'm going to get to go deeper in home group. So I can apply this and wrestle with this. Commitment to the beloved community. Third application point is if you've been divisive, oh, it's time to repent. Repentance means turn 180 degrees the other direction. As we work through changes in worship and we look at remodeling and we look at all those third level and fourth level things, some of you are going to have something rise up within you and say, I don't like change. Most of us don't, even if it's change, we choose. And that's an opportunity to say, what's primary, what's secondary, and what shouldn't even be on that list? Divisiveness and the enemy will creep in as we continue to work at that. But we need to. We must in order that new people come to know Jesus and we come alive as we focus on the king's mission. So repent of divisiveness. Don't feed that. Don't make space for the evil one. Don't let offense grow in your heart. If you can't give it away, release it to the Lord, then talk to the person. And the last three here are this. Share Jesus, share Jesus, share Jesus. It's, Jesus is more clear than any other spiritual or secular path to what love is and does as we dig into the life and teachings of Jesus. Romans ten nine says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And that begins a journey. So the fifth application piece is maybe you haven't said yes to Jesus, but you're ready. Maybe this is your day. And sixth, and finally, commit to stewarding conflict and agreeing and disagreeing in love. This is foundational. This will sustain your Christian life, moving from fear to love. Let us pray, and we'll worship. Lord, thank you for these dear people who have listened to me ramble about you, but I hope they hear the passion that I have for you and how you've changed my life and changed thousands of others, and across time, millions upon millions. So, Lord, we know today that we may be in different places, but if we're ready to say yes to God who is love, that wooing, that drawing, we're ready to let that live within us. If that's you this morning, God doesn't make the hoops so many or the threshold so high that you can't step over it. It's a step at a time by faith. You begin the conversation in your mind and say, Jesus, by faith, I believe that you are. Come live within me by your spirit. I want to turn from being my own God. I want to turn from more abstract ways of thinking about spiritual life and begin to engage in it on a personal, real, daily level. If you want that kind of spiritual life, He's ready to come in and enter into your spirit into your mind, into your heart he won't force his way in he's gracious because he wants it to be a choice of beginning a relationship a real relationship with the God of the universe who comes down and lives by the spirit in us let me know if you have made that decision you can use a connect card or just if that's more comfortable to let me know I'd love to be able to follow up help you with some information and get plugged into the church, into the Jesus with skin on, the living church, the messy local church. And for all of us, if we've been living out of a place of fear, Lord, we repent of that. We want to live out of a center of your love. We want to receive you today. We want to walk in that today. Because love will get us all the way. Fear will only get us there when we're afraid of being judged, but love will get us there because we desire to be part of the beloved and to walk in that. So Lord, we turn to you today for you are love. It's the essence of your being, of the Trinity, of all that you are. And out of that flows holiness and righteousness and goodness and joy and peace and kindness. All of those things flow out of that. Forgive us if we've worshipped false holiness, which actually gets us in a judgment cycle and ultimate condemnation and hell. Let us not be that. Let us break out of that. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.